Okay, good morning. If you want to uh, find, uh, if you have a Bible, if you want to find the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter is uh, towards the end of the New Testament. We've been working through the book of 1 Peter since to go, start of this year, and we're just coming into the end. We've only got three more weeks to go, and then we'll be finished. Oh, yeah, I didn't know what sort of response I was going to get. Okay, finally! Or a, or a sign of disappointment, but there you go. So, I'm just going to move this up slightly. I'm going to move it down slightly now. Here we go. Okay, so we're going to read this passage together, and then I'm going to pray. It says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Close yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for the Bible your word to us, and uh, we want to take it seriously as truth, perhaps the only thing that is really objectively, wonderfully true in this world, and we want to build our lives upon it, because it tells the wonderful story, Jesus, of who you are and what you've done for us, and we want to align our lives to that story, where there are so many other competing ideas and stories and worldviews, we want to say the one that we want to live by is your story, Jesus. And we pray that as we look at these, these verses today, that you would speak to us, that you draw our hearts ever closer to you, you draw our hearts in humility to you, Jesus, and that you'd guide us farther. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you noticed, but there was a, there was a video uh, this week that went kind of viral, as these things do, of the Dutch Prime Minister, Mark Rutte, who was walking into an office building and he dropped his coffee and spilled it all over the floor. Did anyone see that? Yeah. Thank a few of you, good, yeah. And he, he, uh, a lady came to clear it up and he, he asked if he could do it and took the mop off her and cleared up, cleared up the floor. Um, and it was, it, it, it kind of went all over the world and everyone was talking about it, um, which was kind of weird because you know, it was just clear. I just I found it funny that millions of people were spending two minutes watching a guy mopping the floor. You know, it's like what a great way to use your time. But the, the the really the most remarkable thing about it was just how how unremarkable it was. He was just mopping the floor, and perhaps the reason it gained so much interest was that it's very rare to see a leader portrayed in any sort of positive light. You know, normally it's just bad news stories or 
um, cynical stories, trying to bring them down. That's what we do with leaders all the time, particularly in our Western culture. We're always trying to bring them down a peg or two, trying to draw, bring them down to our level. We want to tell them what we think, how they should run the country, how, how we think it should go. So to see just a positive story of just a leader doing something nice, I think was quite heartwarming for people, really. <laughs> it was quite a novelty. It was quite a nice thing to see you know, a, a rare kind of positive portrayal of a leader. And it kind of suggests to me that in a way in the, in the world today, we face a crisis of, of leadership in that by many people, even often ourselves, we have such a negative idea of what leadership is. And partly that's informed by years and years and years, generations of leaders failing of them not doing their job properly, um, of letting us down, of causing all sorts of destruction and pain. Authoritarian leaders who want to do things their own way and will crush everybody else that gets in their way. You know, even just living here in Europe, we're haunted by the effects of the Second World War, of how an authoritarian leadership uh, crushed, literally killed millions of people. And we back away, we say, well, leadership, therefore, we can't, we can't have it. If that's what it is, then we don't want to touch it. We don't want to go near it. And sadly, it's true in the wider world, but it's true, it's true in the church. I watched a movie um, on Friday evening called Spotlight, which is a movie about the, uh, the Boston Globe newspaper who uncovered a horrible scandal of Catholic priests abusing children in Boston in the USA. And the, the movie tells the story of how they expose this horrible thing. And, and kind of even tells the story that the theme behind it is actually in a way they were all implicit, they were all involved, because in different ways they'd all turned a blind eye. That it kept coming up again and again, that they would say, well, we kind of knew something was going on. The people at the newspaper, people they encountered, but yet everybody turned a blind eye. And suddenly these few journalists decided to reverse that and courageously took on the Catholic Church to expose what was, what was going on. One of the most haunting things about the movie is when they, they talk to a few uh, of the people who've been abused, and a few of them said things like, um, well, how, how can you say no to God? Because the priests, they held the priests in such reverence as these mighty leaders who were, had been in this God-given position they say, how can you say no to God? They would say, it was like God coming into my home. How could, you, how could you turn him down? Which is horrible to think that, that that authority was abused in such a horrific way. But we watch those movies and it, 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 you, you look at it and you think, well, then if that's what leadership is, I don't want it. And even in, through the story of the movie, a few of the journalists involved had some sort of connection with the Catholic Church, and they just backed away. They said, well, I don't want any, any part of this. If this is what these people are like, I don't, wanna, I don't want that to be, to be true. And it's, you know, it's not just true of the Catholic Church. There's so many stories that appear all the time of lots of different abuse that takes place in the church and across the world. And in lots of different ways, we've got to be aware that leadership, both good and bad, affects us all. Because we could say, well, if that's what leadership is, 
let's just abolish it. You know, we'll all just agree and get on. As long as everyone's nice to each other, then surely we can make things work. But all of us in different ways are, are leaders ourselves. We need to lead ourselves even, you know, to do the things that we need to do in life. Brush our teeth in the morning, to go to work, to do our job, to do the things we're supposed to do. That takes a, an element of self-leadership. And all of us are involved in influencing and leading other people. And definitely all of us are led by other people in our workplace, in lots of different ways. So for us to just say leadership's horrible, let's just abolish it, that's not gonna work. That's not gonna work. We need to actually instead say, well, well what does the Bible say about this? How can we try and build something which is, leads in the way that Jesus leads us, that leads in the way that we're led by our Father in heaven. And this morning, we're, we're going to particularly talk about the role of, of elders, particularly called church. Now, elders is a, is a biblical term to talk about those who are particularly called out to guide and guard and govern the people of God. So it's not the only leadership role in the church. There's lots of other ways that people lead. But this is one particular way that the Bible talks about you know, we often talk here about the church being like a family, that we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and families need fathers. And that's what basically what the role of an elder is, is to father, to shepherd the people of God. And that's what we're going to look about today and see what the Bible says about that. And, and what Peter does in this passage that we've just read is he compares kind of secular worldly leadership to biblical eldership and gives us three kind of comparisons which, which, we're gonna, which we're gonna look at as we go along. And the first of these is, I guess you could call it kind of no leadership. He says in verse two, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Elders are supposed to lead willingly, taking on the oversight not because they have to, but because they want to. Because in our society, many people, although we don't like the idea of leadership, many people want to influence, right? It's kind of cool and hip to be an influencer, to be a social influencer. And people want to be activists and consultants and creatives and entrepreneurs and gurus of lots of different things. No, it's, it's kind of okay to be an influencer. But if anything looks like any kind of leadership, then people back away from it. And when people do have to be in roles of leadership, we try and downplay it all the time. We try and minimize it. We try and soften it so it's not offensive. So these are some actual job titles out there. Of, these are leadership positions in businesses. So one guy is the chief flavor officer for a company. Okay, there you go. Another guy is a fashion evangelist. Uh, the guy who is in charge of online security at Yahoo, his job title is Paranoid in Chief. The, um, the CEO of the Matrix Group, his job title is Chief Troublemaker. The uh, CEO of Powtown, his job title is, this is real, Chief Executive Unicorn. There's a, an, an HR director, at Vayner Media, his, his title is Chief Heart Officer. That's lovely, isn't it? Uh, the Pizza Hut employs someone who's the Dean of Pizza. 
Seriously, the dean of pizza. He goes around different pizza places and tells them how to chop up their pizzas, because apparently there's a particular way that they do it, the dean of pizza. The online company Buffer, rather than, than account managers, they have happiness heroes. That's lovely, isn't it? And then this is my favorite one, this last one. This guy works for Microsoft. His job title is Galactic Viceroy of Research Excellence. <laughs> I've just found my new job title. Galactic Viceroy. Wow. But that's what we try and do. We just try and soften leadership and just make it this kind of funky, cool thing that's not in any way offensive or abusive. We just downplay it. But the thing is, the, the, worst, the worst kind of leadership is actually not abusive leadership, although that's horrible, but the worst kind of leadership is actually no leadership at all. Because then you create a context where anything can happen. You create a context which is then unsafe. And actually, that, that's why you get abusive authoritarian leaders, because those people that were leading them didn't lead them. There was no leadership. And that's a dangerous thing. And you could see, well, it seems all kind of nice and flower power, we'll all just get along, we'll, all ju we'll just figure it out amongst ourselves. But what that ends up in is endless disagreements and arguments that we try and just keep under the surface, we try and bottle them down. And in the end, someone will end up leading something somehow and perhaps not the way it should be. Someone will eventually have to step up to the plate uh, unwittingly, under compulsion, and it won't, it won't go well. And we have to... It's important that this kind of idea in our culture that leadership is either bad or is something that we just kind of have to tolerate but not like, we have to kill that idea because that's, that's wrong. Leadership is a really good thing. Leadership can be a really releasing, empowering thing if you let it work out in your life. I'm so thankful over the years of people that have led me really well. You know, for one thing, my parents. <laughs> if my parents had just sort of let me go free range, like, you just run feral, run wild, how would that have worked out? You know, not very well. We had some, some friends um, back in the UK who for a while, they just decided to let their kids eat whatever they wanted. Like literally, if their child asked them for a food, they just wouldn't say no, whatever it was. So their six-year-old daughter just ate crisps, uh, potato chips. J just that was all she ate. <laughs> Seriously, nonstop. And I think sooner or later, they had kind of realized, maybe this isn't working. But that's what happens if you don't have leadership in the home. And it's the true, I can think of so many instances in my life where I'm grateful for leadership because it's, it's trained me, it's served me, it's released me, it's helped me. And it's a really good thing, it's an important thing. In the, the TV show uh, Band of Brothers, there is a leader in there who doesn't do a very good job, Lieutenant Dyke. And this is what one of the other characters says about him. He says he wasn't a bad leader because he made bad decisions. He was a bad leader because he made no decisions. <laughs> Leadership isn't about getting it right all the time, but if you just don't make any decisions at all, then that's, well, that just isn't leadership, is it? It doesn't work. 
But the leadership the Bible's talking about here, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, it's, it's, it's a leadership that comes from, from the heart. There's a willingness, there's a desire to lead, as it says, as God would have you. I wanna lead people to Jesus. It's, it's not about saying, everybody has to do what I say. We're not leading because we feel like we have to, but there's a willingness to serve God. And the wonderful thing about elders in the Bible and elders that I've met in churches is that a bit like Mark Ruter spilling his coffee and mopping it up, elders are remarkably unremarkable. In, in the books, in Paul's letters to Titus and Timothy, which you can read in the New Testament, he gives these lists of what elders should be, the qualifications for eldership, what an elder needs to have to be an elder. And the amazing thing is that they're really bland and boring. You read them and think, well, okay, this is pretty obvious. Like one of the qualifications is that he should have one wife rather than you know two or three or four. And you think, well, that's hopefully that's fairly standard. You know, that's, that's a pretty basic, unremarkable, unremarkable thing. And that's, it's not about this position of leadership in the church. It's not about some superstar heroes who come and save the day. It's about people who are just willing to serve in a really unremarkable, hidden, unseen way that people often don't even really know about, which comes from a willingness from the heart of, I just wanna serve Jesus and this is how Jesus has called me to serve. And then the next thing that Peter talks about is success leadership. So he says that elders should lead not for shameful gain, but, but, but eagerly. Because in, in the kind of the heart desire to lead, you can sometimes lead for the wrong reasons because you want to try and get something out of it. Some kind of status, prestige, position, some kind of full sense of authority and everyone's looking at me, I'm the man. That's not the way, that's, that's not the way to do it. That's shameful gain. And the Bible says this about, that's really important. It says in 1 Corinthians 4, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. That's a pretty good job description for all of us, but particularly for leaders in the church. Servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. Jesus says this in Matthew, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. We're not supposed to be Elders aren't supposed to be kind of chief executive officers, creative entrepreneurs. First and foremost, they're servants sent to serve the church. Not to kind of lord it over people, but to serve. The kingdom of God is this crazy upside down kingdom. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. Elders are called to, to, to come last, <laughs> to clear up the mess, to do the hard things to serve in all sorts of different hidden ways. But we can find that there's this kind of drivenness of our culture, the drivenness of success, 
we must achieve certain things that can penetrate into the church. You must feel like we must hit certain goals, certain milestones. We must do certain things. We must have a certain number of people in the room. And things like numbers and strategy and management, they're not bad things. They can be really helpful things. But if they begin to take over, they begin to become the dominant factor, then we're in, we're in a, dangerous, a dangerous place. Because actually, rather than leadership be about success, it's actually much more about, it's much more about suffering. It's much more about suffering. Because it talks here about you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The elders will receive this kind of crown of glory, which you might think, well, surely that sounds a bit like success to me. You know, what you get to heaven, you get this massive big crown. But if you read through the Bible where it talks, there's a few instances in the Bible of where people receive a crown, and it's always because of suffering. It always follows on from suffering every time. And there's this sense of this reward to come, but it's because of something. It's because you've suffered. It's because you've walked through hardship and pain and difficulty. Earlier on in, in 1 Peter, it says this, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. This is how Jesus leads us. He suffered for us. That was the example that he leaves us. If you read through Jesus' ministry, if you judge it by the standards that we would judge leadership's success today, at the time, then he would have failed because everybody left him. He, he, there's, there's certain pivotal points in his, in his leadership where Jesus says things and a whole crowd of people just leave. You know, even in his final week on Palm Sunday where these crowds of people are exalting him and then a week later, they're all, they're all gone. And there's just a few stragglers around the cross. Even, even him, the guy who writes this letter had denied Jesus, turned on his back on him. If you try and say that in those three years of Jesus' ministry, by the standards that we would judge success, he was successful, then we can't say that. But Jesus walked a different path for us. There's a writer called Douglas Harrink who said this, the leaders of God's people possess only one kind of authentic authority the authority of serving the flock by giving their lives for it. That's what you want to look for in someone who's an elder or aspiring to be an elder, is that's where they get their authority from, by serving people, by giving their lives for the church. It's not authority doesn't come by having a microphone or standing on a stage. It really doesn't. Authority comes through serving people through serving people. And in the church, that's what authority looks like. Any other kind of authority, you, should, you can question. This kind of authority, this is genuine spiritual authority. This is, because this is how Jesus leads us. He gave his lives for us. That's how husbands are supposed to lead their wives in marriage, by giving their lives for their families, by laying their life down for those that they care for the most. 
There's a, a, a hymn writer who lived about 200 years ago who wrote this. He wrote a, a song about, a hymn about the church, which people don't often do. And one of the verses this, says this. He was a leader in the church as well. He said, for her, he's talking about the church, for the church my tears shall fall, for her my prayers ascend, to her my cares and toils be given, till toils and cares shall end. That's uh, Maybe if you're here today and you want to be an elder, maybe here in this church or maybe in another church in the future, you need to read that and think, oh goodness, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun to me. It doesn't. That's the role of leadership in the church is to give our lives for something, to serve it, to lay our lives down for the people of God. It's a high calling, but it's not in any way an easy one. And then the third thing that Peter talks about is, is kind of power leadership. He says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Because the church isn't, leadership in the church, it's not hierarchical and it's also not democratic. So it's not like the elders are up here and everyone else is down here. But at the same time, it's not like everyone's here together and we all just you know, figure out and work it out together. It's actually completely the other way around. The elders are serving. They're kind of at the bottom. They're giving their lives for it, they're serving. It's completely different. There's a service that takes place. And whereas in, in, in our society around us, leaders wanna be at the top of the tree. They wanna to aspire to get somewhere, to gain some sort of position or status or wealth or fame. They wanna have some sort of sense of power. Elders don't want that. The only power they want is the Holy Spirit. They don't, they don't want any sort of power or influence that they can get by manipulating people. That's not what leadership in the church is about. It's also not, it's not hypocritical because often in our culture, leaders get authority by not what they do, by what they say. Oftentimes, leaders get authority through fear. It's quite common in the sports world. There's, the, the ex-manager of Manchester United, Sir Alex Ferguson, was famous for throwing football boots at people's heads. He threw a football boot at David Beckham's head. And his team was scared of him. You know, they all respected him and they all kind of admired him. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, they were just scared of him. So they would perform because they didn't want to, they didn't want to let him down. As in, they didn't want to get a football boot in their face. It was, he, he, he managed through, through, there's lots of things about his leadership that was positive, but one thing perhaps not, definitely not, was he used fear as a tool to manipulate people. And that's not what it should look like in the church. Elders gain authority by their obedience to Christ, by being examples. It's not do as I say, it's follow my life with all my flaws and ups and downs. This, this is an example. That's how elders are supposed to function. Not hypocritical at all. And it's also, it's also not heroic because leaders in the world around us, they want, they want to save the day. 
They want to get the awards and the acclaim. They want to ride in like the knight in shining armor and come up with a magical solution that fixes everything. But if for elders, for leaders in the church, we're supposed to be constantly pointing to another hero. Actually, we want to be as much as possible trying to take a back seat, say, look at Jesus. That's your hero. Not, not the elders, not the leaders. He's the hero. He's the one. He's the one that's swooped in to save and rescue us. It's not about any sorts of kind of heroism or performance. And all of this, I guess you could describe it a little bit as having, a, having humility, being humble. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. But that's what it, it looks like because... Even in the world around us, leaders understand humility and they want to be humble, but they want to use it to manipulate situations. It's false humility. Because you notice that you can, I can, if I'm humble, people seem to do what I say. Therefore, I'll be humble to get them to do what I say. You know, and if, if, if with that person, I, they need a bit of fear for them to do what I say, with that person, I'll make them scared. But with this person, I'll be humble, and maybe that will win them around. That's what clever leaders, they're like that. They have different strategic plans for different people. But humility isn't just a tool to leverage authority. Humility, it says here that we should clothe ourselves. It's what we wear. That every morning we get up and say, well, I'm going I'm to be humble, not to... not not because it might benefit me, but even if it doesn't benefit me, I want to be humble, live lives of humility. And we, as I said, we're going to talk a bit more about what that means, what that means next week. And all the time, our example of leadership is the chief, the chief shepherd, is Jesus himself. It says that we should, the elders should shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And it goes on to say, verse four, and when the chief shepherd appears, because that's, that's the best way to understand the role of an elder in the church is as, as a shepherd, which doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense in our context today, because I don't know any shepherds, like actual shepherds. You know, maybe you've met one, but I don't know any. Um, you know, I live in a city. There aren't a lot of shepherds around here. Even out in the countryside these days, shepherds don't tend to exist so much. And if they do, they have a different role. But in, in, in the first century when this was written, there would be no fence around them. There's no pen that they go in. They're, they're, they're wild. And they're completely dependent upon the shepherd for their care and their protection, their, their feed, their watering. If they get injured, he's the guy that comes and cares for their wounds. And without the shepherd, they die. Basically, that's, that's how it works. Even with a sheep, you, you, can, you can get it within a few meters of its, of its pen of where it needs to go, but it won't go in there because it's a sheep and it's stupid. And it, it will go in the other direction. You need a shepherd or his dog to kind of marshal them into the right place. I'm not trying to offend you all here and saying, just so stupid, all of you. That's not what I'm trying to say. But there's a, when we come to Jesus, there's a, there's a dependency that we're supposed to come to him and say, well, I'm just going to follow you. 
wherever you lead me. And I think I should be going over there. And Jesus says, what are you doing? You're supposed to be going over here. We're supposed to follow where he's leading us. That's true for all of us. Perhaps the most important thing to learn is not really how to be an elder, but how to be, how to be led. How to be led by Jesus. If you can learn that, what it means to be led by Jesus, the chief shepherd, that will transform your life. Because it's a wonderful, life-giving thing. Because all of us, we're wandering around in this world in, in what we think is light and wonder. I'll read a passage in a moment from Ezekiel where it says where it's actually clouds and darkness. And every now and again, I don't know about you, you, me, about you but I get those moments where I suddenly realize I'm just wandering around in clouds and darkness. I think I know where I'm going, but I'm utterly lost. I need a shepherd, the chief shepherd, to guide me of where I need to go, of what I need to do, of where I'm supposed to be going. And that's how we're all supposed to live. And the thing about our chief shepherd, Jesus, is that he doesn't really conform to the stereotype of a heroic leader either. In some ways he does, but in some ways he, he doesn't. Because even his disciples, there's lots of times where his, his disciples, his closest band of followers, they're expecting him to go and do certain things, to march on Jerusalem with an army and just take the city, because they're expecting this hero leader. Actually, Jesus led in a very different way. Describes him in Isaiah as the suffering servant. That's what his... His, his leadership looked like. It wasn't some heroic act of, of attacking with a great army. It was that of humble service. And Jesus describes it really well in a wonderful story in, in Matthew chapter 20, where it says, then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, which is a great name, isn't it? If I had boy, one of them would be called Zebedee. Anyway, the sons of Zebedee, who were James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, came up to her sons and kneeling before him, kneeling before Jesus, she asked him for something. And he, he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at, left, at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And the, this is where James and John probably should have said something different, like, mum, be quiet. But they said this. They said to him, we are able. Oh, lads, what are you doing? He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the 10, the rest of the disciples heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers, understandably, but Jesus called to them, and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, P Peter was there. Peter, who wrote this letter, was there. He was one of the ten. <laughs> That's why he writes this in 1 Peter, because he heard this. This is what Jesus is saying to them and to us. 
That's what leadership looks like. It's not about position or status or authority. It's about service, of giving your life. And all of us, all of us, we, we, we need that for our, our lives. We need a, a shepherd, one who comes, a shepherd who provides for us. It says in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. We need a shepherd who cares for us. It says in Isaiah, he will tend, which means care, his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs into his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. The shepherd rescues us. It says in Ezekiel, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out, seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And finally, this shepherd sacrifices. This is in John 10. This is Jesus talking. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you're the good shepherd that provides for us, that cares for us, that's come to rescue us, and ultimately you gave your life for us. God, on one hand, we want to follow your example, but on the other hand, we know that, that we can't, that it will always be a pale imitation. But we want to rest ourselves in your care and protection. Thank you, Jesus, that you've come to provide for us, to care for us. And we want to live lives that are completely dependent on our great shepherd. We want to learn what it is to be led by you, to put our lives in your hands, to follow leaders that you've put in authority above us, but first and foremost to say, Jesus, I want to, I want to follow you. Even if the way that you're telling me to go makes no sense, I know it's ultimately going to be better than my way. I want to trust in you because you're caring for me. You're providing for me. You've rescued me. I pray for anyone here this morning that doesn't know this great shepherd that wouldn't call themselves a Christian or maybe isn't sure. I pray that they would know your rescuing power flood into their life where they've found themselves wandering in clouds and thick darkness. I pray you would burst into their life and shine a light into their soul, reveal to them their sin, when they to repent and turn their life around and reveal to them the wonderful truth that you gave your life for them, to forgive them, to set them free, to set them on a path of righteousness. I pray you'd help them to put their trust in you. I pray you'd help all of us this morning again to put our trust in you, our great shepherd. Amen.